as well All is well And we have heard The message shalom And all is well There is Let's just uh, turn around and shake somebody's hand 
greet one another in the name of our lovely Lord Jesus. And I just pray that uh, everyone has had a beautiful day. And if you haven't, that your day is beginning to look up right now. So, um, so good to see you. I greet all of you. And um, let's, um, <clears throat> I love that all as well. Uh, what a wonderful way to start out a service by saying all is well. It, sometimes it doesn't seem well, right? But it's well. Let's, um, let's go to the key of F and sing a little bit of In the Garden. I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on And a voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, and He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am. The joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He speaks, he speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet. The birds hush their He gave to me within my heart is ringing, and He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. Enter the garden this evening. I'll stay in the garden with him. Though the night around me is falling, but he bids me go through the void of And 
has ever garden with Christ. Um, Just to share that intimacy from believer to believer as the Holy Spirit moves from one to the other, that fellowship and the communion that we experience when we gather together in in a building together for fellowship. There's just no replacing it. And um, when we have to go, it is with the voice of woe. And sometimes we don't want the fellowship to end. Amen. Not only with Christ, but with our, with, with our fellow believers of like precious faith through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, you can have your seats for a few minutes. I have some announcements. Um, first of all, just some uh, prayers. And brother, we need to come up and, and address the prayers uh, as, uh, after we go over these. It's good to see Brother Gunner here and, uh, this evening. Um. We'd like to mention uh, Crystal Johnson, out sick tonight. Also, Sister Haley. Um, Carrie Whitlock is not feeling well either. Brother Aaron, uh, leading up to his big trip overseas, um, he's not doing well either. So let's pray especially for him that nothing would hinder his uh, going off to to minister and represent HBT. In Africa, we also want to mention the Pew family who's out sick tonight. Uh, Brother Keith Buchanan, he's working. Uh, Jane Munch, who's sick as well. Uh, my nephews Joe and Noah Cockman, they are in uh, still at camp in Michigan, and and uh, their mom and sister are uh, traveling as well. So keep Brother David in your prayers, and as long as, as well as all of them, he's not very good at being a bachelor. And so, um, also my daughters are, uh, uh, traveling as well. They had kind of a rough day getting from London to Rome. Can you really call that a, a rough day? I'm not sure. And so it'd be in prayer for them. And on a serious note, sister Emily Arrowwood, um, uh, had the issue with her eyes and the virus she's experiencing. I know that's very worrisome to her family and to her as well. So, Keep her in your earnest prayers. Sister Bisaki is out sick, and the Chris Clable family is out sick as well. So, Brother Griffin, and uh, lead us to the Lord in prayer, and as we just um, bring these cares to Him. Let's just bow our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that you're still on the throne tonight, Lord Jesus. Lord, that we can come and worship you in spirit and truth, Lord. And we know, Lord, that you are the author and finisher of our faith, Lord. And, Lord, many requests have been brought before this sacred desk tonight, Lord. And I ask, Father, that you would minister to each one, Lord, in only a way that you could minister to them, Lord Jesus. Lord, different ones on the field traveling, getting ready to travel overseas, Lord. And the unrest of the world that's all around us, Father, Lord. But you chose them to go, Lord. And if you chose a person and called them to go, Lord, you'll see them right through everything, Lord Jesus. Bless the brothers as they travel, Lord. Uh, also, Brother George Smith is also over in Africa, Lord Jesus. Lord, I ask you to bless each one that's come tonight, tonight, Lord Jesus. Lord, anoint Brother Barry, anoint his lips, anoint our hearts to hear, Lord, what you have to say to us tonight, Lord. And may we say, did not our hearts burn within us as you spoke to us along the way. We love you and we praise you. 
It's in the mighty name and precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I have heard how Christians long ago were brought before a runs throne. Christ. One by one, they chose to die. The Son of God, they would not deny. And like a great angelic choir sings, I can almost hear their But the cause of Christ still goes on. Now our time has come to count the law. To reject this world, to embrace the cross. So one by one, let us live our lives. For the one who died to give us life Until the trumpet sounds on that final day Let's stand, let us proudly stand And boldly say I
Let's put it in the key of F and sing, I shall not be moved. I'm feeling pretty strong right now. <laughs> I'm standing here pledging allegiance to the, to the Lamb. Let's do a little bit of I shall not be moved there. Well, Jesus is my Savior, I shall not be moved. Amen. I'm love and favor, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree planted by the water, I shall not be moved. Well, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not, I By the still waters. You don't want to be moved, right? He's the one that's leading. I shall not be moved. Um, I had the thought on the way down here. Uh, someone uh, on a group chat that I'm on, we were talking about maybe a, a next topic for a Bible study. And someone brought up, what about Christ feeding the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes? That miracle. Maybe we, should, maybe we could have a little study on that. And I said... And I said, that would be a great study. I said, but what's a greater miracle is that was just a foretaste, a foreshadowing of the word that would come forth. And when we take communion, he said, this is my body that was broken for you. He is the bread that came down from heaven. And you think spreading that 5,000 people with natural bread was a miracle. What about 
What about the sacrifice He made on the cross through which all of us can have salvation pure and free? Amen? It was, it was just a tiny foretaste of the true miracle that would come. Let's sing that verse one more time. On His Word I'm feeding. Well, on His Word I'm feeding I shall not be moved He's the one that's leading I shall not be moved Just like a tree Planted by the waters I shall not be moved Well, I shall not be I shall not be moved I shall not be Just like a tree Planted by the waters I shall not be Come and dine. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people. Come and dine. With his manna, he does feed and supplies our every need. Tis sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. Come and dine, the master calleth. Come and dine. You may be all the time you fed the multitude and turned the water into wine to the hungry call of now come and die amen brother tom if you would and the deacons come forward and we're gonna uh take up the offering this evening before we change the order of the service so Definitely something that we don't ever want to forget, the opportunity to use the blessings God has given us to further His kingdom that He has placed us in as workers and as witnesses. Brother Tom, would you lead us in prayer? Brother Barry comes this evening. Let's sing Flow Through Me. Oh 
just to magnify thy name, glory. While you're standing, let's sing one more little chorus. Majesty, majesty. Let's pull that up there. Majesty. Ship is majesty. you all. Certainly good to have you here today. Let's go right to prayer, and we want to remember uh, the males as well. Tested positive for the virus uh, this week, and they're uh, not feeling well at all, so let's remember them uh, in prayer uh, tonight, if you will. Sister Becky will play, and uh, just hold your need before him tonight, because God knows all about it, and God knows all about the answer as well. Heavenly Father, as we approach your throne tonight, Lord, we feel the weight, the burden of many of our members, Lord, who are not well and 
just have been dealing with sickness, Lord, in different ways. And we, we who are well, we who are strong, we bind our faith together now and ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would go by their side and minister to each one, Lord. We believe that you're a healer today. And, Lord, your power to heal is not diminished at all, not because you're not here. And, Lord, not because Brother Branham's not here. But, Lord, it's our faith that reaches out and touches the hem of your garment. And as you pass by tonight, Lord, minister to those that, Lord, may have needs or questions or things are dealing with. Lord, we place each one into your hands, Lord, today. The very best thing we can do is bring them to the throne and just, Lord, bring that need and faith to you tonight. We cast all of our cares upon you. And, Lord Jesus, may your holy presence sweep through this place tonight and minister, Lord, every heart. Open the word to us, we pray in Jesus' lovely name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Take your Bible, if you will. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3, and we'd like to begin there tonight. <clears throat> Good to have the Gunters with us tonight, front and center. Can't miss them. Good to have them here. Good to have Johnny and Doris back. God bless you. We have missed you. It's good to have you here uh, tonight. And uh, may the Lord bless you, all of you that have been away. We have a number of folks that are not well tonight, and uh, so we want to remember them. Uh, in prayer. Philippians chapter 3, we'd like to read there uh, tonight. We're going to read a couple of verses here, and we'll go back and look at them again, so hold on to this in your Bible here. Verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now, Paul's drawing a, a comparison here, all right? He says, mark people who walk like us because there are people who walk very differently. And so we want you to notice this contrast here. For our conversation, verse 20, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated uh, tonight. Good to have you with us, buddy. So uh, let's take a look uh, tonight. And uh, just before we begin, I wanted to mention uh, that our men's meeting uh, capacity has almost been reached. So if you have not registered uh now would be a real good time for you to think about uh registering because uh there are very few spots that are left as a matter of fact they were all sold out today and then there was a couple of cancellations there so uh if you're planning to do that then now would be a good time we have a unique uh opportunity before us to pray a special prayer request for a special prayer request uh tonight and that is for sister caroline jackson and uh, Sister Caroline uh, was uh, settled in her housing for college uh, for this coming year. And uh, lo and behold, due to the uh, Fair Housing Act, uh, they, the college there, which is about 45,000 people, decided to put a boy in her room. And uh, when, uh, when the uh, objections were raised, which are... Uh, very normal, natural to raise objection to something like that. Uh, the whole discrimination thing comes up. 
And so uh, you're not allowed to discriminate against this kind of arrangement. Uh, neither are you allowed to have any rights to object to it. And uh, it's a, it's, it's, it is the result of uh, Pandora's box being opened. And once the lunacy gets out, it's just about impossible to get back in the box. And what you're seeing in manifestation is Sodom law. That's Sodom law, where you would have a, uh, a, 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 an apartment setting or a, a housing situation and be forced to have uh, a boy in your bedroom, separated only by a metal divider. And uh, this, uh, this, this goes on in, in the dormitories in that same college. It's actually much worse, believe it or not. Uh, so the Jacksons are faced with some real, uh, real concerns, and if you don't mind, uh, I, I assured them tonight that uh, we would be praying for them, and you just pray that God would give them wisdom to know how to navigate through this situation, and uh, you know, nothing happens by chance, but that is a, a reality that uh, unfortunately we have to face as long as we live in a fallen world, and uh, we need to have real wisdom in dealing with it. I was saying, you know, that if you uh, go down the road 10 years, what's it going to be like? If it's like this now, what's it going to be like in 10 years? If we're still here, what's it going to be like when some of our younger kids go to, uh, go to college and had to make decisions like that? And uh, I thank God in some ways we still have options, uh, you know, like to be able to learn online or, you know, still do community colleges and not have the requirement to stay in residence and so forth. But, uh, I mean, this is the way the world is going, and uh, we're not going to get that uh, we're not going to get Pandora back in the box, that's for sure. So uh, if you don't mind, just remember them in prayer, and I, I assured them we, uh, we would because uh, that's just, uh, it's almost unbelievable. You know, when you hear the things that, that go on, it's almost unbelievable. All right, let's uh, turn our thoughts again now to this subject that we've been dealing with on Wednesday night, and this is number four, uh, talking about uh, the earth and the uh, new earth that we're going to be going to because we know it's going to be, or the Bible describes where we're going as new heavens and new earth. Eventually we'll get there. And uh, this is, of course, after the millennium. So we want to know uh, how to navigate through this world presently that we're in uh, to the place where our bodies are changed. And then, of course, for us, the agenda for the people of God is very different than the agenda for the world. Uh, so we want to know how to navigate through this world in, a, in, a, in the best way we can, in a way that's pleasing to God. And then, of course, uh, you know, when we wind up on the other side, we have uh, a glimpse of what it's going to be like over there, even though uh, we certainly do not fully know what it's going to be like. Eyes not seen and ears not heard what's in store for God's people. But I believe it'll be a whole lot better than uh, the world we live in today, and I believe the body you'll be in will be much better than the one you got today. And uh, I believe that the, uh, the uh, enemies of, of the people of God will be harnessed uh, during that time, so it will be a wonderful time. Now, in the uh, reading of our text here, we came across that word in verse 20 there, for our conversation is in heaven from whence we look uh, for the Savior. Now, uh, the word conversation is, uh, it, it means two things in the Bible. And uh, this, this word in, uh, in Philippians chapter 3 is only used one time uh, in its application here. But when we see the word uh, conversation, it generally means this. 
uh, like we find in 2 Corinthians, that our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. For we write none other things unto you than that ye read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. Uh, this, this literally means our conversation as in the words we speak, but it also means in the affect, what I refer to as the affect, our expression, our conduct, uh, the way we, uh, the way we handle ourselves in terms of, uh, communicating with people. Conversation means more than just words. It means how you present your words and how you convey your thoughts and so forth. So Brother Branham says it like this in uh, We Would See Jesus. He said, therefore, we should never speak anything but what we believe and understand. Let it be pure, undefiled, and holy. Let our conversation be clean and pure, our thoughts thinking the best things, thinking God's thoughts, staying upon God's program and away from the things of the world. Let our conversation be clean and pure. So how we... Uh, how we convey ourselves, how we express ourselves. That's what normally that word conversation means. It's not just the words that you say. Right. <clears throat> However, when we come to Philippians chapter 3, it's a different meaning here. It's a deeper meaning, a stronger meaning. So let's see if we can uh, clarify it. For our conversation is in heaven, Paul writes, from whence also we look for the Savior. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, obviously that our, our words, uh, we're communicating with people in heaven. He certainly doesn't mean that. But you can see from the uh, Greek definition there, polity, politiuma, politiuma, politiuma. Aren't you glad I don't say, let's all say, because I can't even say. The administration, it means the administration of civil affairs or of a commonwealth. The constitution of a commonwealth for a form of government and the laws by which it administered. Listen now. Paul says our conversation is in heaven. Now, I live in a commonwealth. I don't know about you, but I live in the commonwealth of Virginia. And so, therefore, uh, the administration of the commonwealth, the laws of the commonwealth, are not made by me. They're made by somebody else. As a matter of fact, the Constitution of Virginia was actually written by Thomas Jefferson many years ago. And the Commonwealth is administered uh, by and has laws which have been set in Richmond a long time ago. And those are laws by which we have to live in Virginia. And so Paul is actually saying, and if you... Notice the Greek word there, it has very close to the word political uh, in there, or the politics uh, of, of your life. In other words, the rules that govern how you live are not made by you. The way that you and I live and conduct ourselves in this world is not determined by uh, your assessment of how we should live. Those rules, if you like, or those guidelines are made somewhere else. Uh, the, the way that we live, the administration of our lives is not, uh, governed by what the church even says, right? Can we go that far and say that we are people who are guided by the word? And this, if you like, is our constitution. How many would agree? 
And it's not written by us. It's not up for question. It's not something that uh, we debate about or, you know, we make it political in any way. It's not at all. But it, it is, uh, Paul is making a, a statement here saying that uh, our lives are governed by God's word entirely. And this is the constitution by which we live. This is the, uh, this is the, uh, God sets the boundaries, God sets the, uh, the ways, God sets the things that He loves, He sets the things that He hates, He sets the commandments in place, He set the boundary markers in place. Everything is set by a higher power than us. And we are called as Christians to live according to that constitution and not the constitution of our own thinking or the constitution of the world around us. Is that alright? Now, Go back with me to verse 17. And Paul says, Now, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. I would like to be marked as someone who, uh, you know, is identified with the Scripture and walks that way. I'd like to be known for that in our community and in the church and uh, in the body of Christ. But he says there's a contrast, though. There's a problem because there are many who walk who really could be considered nothing short of enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says with those people, their mind is set on material things. They're, they're in this destruction. Their God is their belly. They're looking to consume as much as they can. They're looking to get as much as they can. Uh, they want to they wanna use the church. They want to use church people. They want to use their office. They want to use whatever they can. They're associated with the church because Paul is not saying they're outside of it. But he says these are people who walk, uh, but they are actually enemies of the cross of Christ because they're not... Uh, walking truly by the principles that are uh, that are expressed by God for kingdom believers. Did you hear that? They're 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 walking, but they're not walking according to God's constitution. They're not walking in God's way. Somebody say Amen this, this evening here. And so Paul says that those people they're in this destruction. God's going to take care of that. You don't need to take care of that. God's going to take care of that. And they're in this destruction, and their their uh, glory is in their shame, and they mind earthly things. They're 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 just uh, we would say carnal people. They're uh, f- focused on physical things. They are very possessive. Uh, they they have more stock in their uh, in their things than in eternal things. So uh, they are they are people who have. Uh, they like to accumulate uh, wealth or they accumulate things and they're, uh, they're, they feel like they're measured by their possessions. And so they, they never want to let things go. I'll tell you what, I, uh, I, I'm the kind of person, I don't know if it's just my personality or, I, I, or if it's Christ in me, uh, probably a bit of both. Uh, but uh, to me, there's nothing really that I'm going to fight to hang on to very strongly except my wife. Uh, and she's just about the only thing I have left in the house. I mean... Uh, as far as people goes, I mean, everybody else has left us. So appreciate it, honey. Appreciate you being around. Um, everybody else has, has sprung, uh, sprung the nest and they're all gone. Uh, despite my best efforts, I tried to keep them all. They're all gone. And, uh, so other, other than my wife, uh, I'm going to let go whatever. Uh, I mean, if somebody wants to come and rob our house because they have a need, hey, let, don't rob the house. Just let me know. I'll write you a check. I mean, I would give you some cash, whatever whatever I could do to help. Because to me, even if we lost it all in this world, we are still, we are inheritors of the kingdom. We are inheritors of, of the kingdom of God. I believe that with all my heart. And so Paul is saying that because we are Christians, our direction comes from above, not this way. 
And, and the, this, the, the people who govern their lives by what's happening around them wind up very sad people very often. Because, I mean, the government will change its policies and, uh, you know, people will change their policy. People will disappoint you and all kinds of things will happen this way. But I'll tell you, with God, his word doesn't change. Heavens and earth will pass away, but his word doesn't pass away. And so he's very consistent. And, and Paul says, that's where we want to keep our minds. That's where we want to keep our focus. And the right expectation, as he said uh, in, in the last verse here, he shall change our vile body. And he said, that's, that's our hope, and we subject ourselves to that. The right expectation for a believer is actually a defense and a shield from earthly temptations. Because uh, when we're expecting the right thing, we're always living uh, with the anticipation that something good's going to happen. And hey, we could be called and taken out of here. I, I don't know about you, but very often calamities have to happen to bring us to that mindset. Brother Branham called it desperation. He said it's too bad. But it does, it does have that effect on you, that uh, desperation makes you very often more serious. It makes you more earnest. It makes you look at your life. It makes you check up. Right? And, and desperation will cause that. It'll say, my goodness, you know, maybe there are things in my life. And maybe, maybe I need to spend more time in prayer. Maybe I need to uh, look at things a little bit more closely. Maybe I need to uh, tighten the belt up just a little bit more. Maybe I need to uh, make some changes in my life. Maybe I need to ask forgiveness for that thing I needed to ask forgiveness for. And I put off this and I put off that and put off something else. Maybe I need to act on those things and clear them. Because I believe one day this is all going to come to pass, uh, what we're talking about, and the bride's going to be gone. And when that time comes, you're not going to have a chance to say, hold it, i got to go make something right. You're better off doing it now. Whatever it is, you're better off doing it now. And that's what Paul is saying, that the believers have... Uh, they have a direction, they have a vision that's given to them, they have a, uh, a, a, if you like, a law of life that operates in them, they have a constitution that they live by, just like we as Americans, we live by a constitution, I mean for most of us, and we live by, uh, you know, the principles of the founding fathers which have lasted for many, many years, and it's a wonderful document, uh, and, and even though Brother Branham said it wouldn't last for a very long time, it, it was a, a wonderful document, and uh, we have a, a document I think that's greater than the U.S. Constitution. And like I said, uh, it's, it's a scripture for us. It's the word of God. And I'm thankful that we have that. And that's the way we live. And in that, in that Constitution, there are promises that are made about us. And based on those promises, we have an expectation that one day it's going to come to pass. And what Paul is simply saying is that I want to live every day like it's going to happen. And I believe it's going to happen. Nothing's going to alter that. It is going to come to pass. And I want to be ready for that day. And he says, I walk that way, verse 17. And he says, mark them that walk like us. And he says, those are the people I have fellowship with. But everybody doesn't see it that way. And that's what he's saying. Now, in Satan's Eden, Brother Branham says, God's Eden was established in righteousness. Satan's Eden is established in sin because Satan is sin. So there are two directives here in the world. There are two influences in the world. God is righteous and... God's kingdom was established in righteousness, peace, and life. Satan's establishment is in sin and religious sin. Now, I was brought, it was brought to my attention on, on Sunday after service that some of the type is small. I think that type is small. And forgive me if it's small type. I don't mean to, uh, cause you eye problems for those of you that are in the back. Uh, but that's why you'd normally read what's up there. So, uh, forgive me for that. 
Now, in the Church Age book, Brother Branham says, now remember this. Now, remember I told you last Wednesday, the last Wednesday I spoke, that we need to remember this, that Christ in the true church is a continuation of the book of Acts. The last day's church is not the book of Acts unless Christ is in that church. Right? That's the requirement. Christ has got to be present. But the book of Revelation shows how that the Antichrist spirit would come into the church and defile it, making it lukewarm, formal, and powerless. It exposes Satan revealing his works, which are, in brackets, attempted destruction of God's people. He can't destroy God's people, but he can attempt to do it. And the discrediting of God's word. And this is something that he works very hard at, is discrediting God's word. Right down to the time he's cast into the lake of fire, he fights that. He knows that if the people get the true revelation of the true church and what she is and what she stands for and that she can do the greater works, she will be an invincible army. Say that with me, an invincible army. Say it now, everybody. We have to do this on every Wednesday night. An invincible army. Say it one more time. An invincible army. Do you believe that? An invincible army means that you're already a conqueror before you go out there. You're an invincible army. If they get a true revelation of the two spirits within the framework of the Christian church, well, that's what Paul is describing in Colossians, right? We have two things going on in the Christian church. We have these people who walk a certain way, but they're really enemies of Christ. And he said, you have these other people. And when you find these other people who have the right expectation and the right belief and the right walk, he says, mark those people. Because there are other people who don't walk that way. In other words, we don't need to spray paint anything on Alan's chest here and, and uh, avoid somebody else here. Don't spray paint him over there. We don't do that. But you know what? Hey, this is a brother I can depend on. This is a brother I can ask for prayer. This is a brother who I can, uh, you know, confess my weaknesses to. This is a brother I can trust. This is a person that I believe is a, a real follower of Christ. And, and this is, this is really what, uh, Paul is talking about here. So, let's go back to this. If you got a true revelation of those two spirits within the framework of the Christian church and discern and withstand the Antichrist spirit, Satan will be powerless before her. He knows that if the people get the true revelation of the true church and what she is and what she stands for and that she can do the greater work, she will be an invincible army. I think this is worth repeating. That's what this is. And if they get a revelation of the two spirits within the framework of the church and discern and withstand that Antichrist spirit, Satan will be powerless. I think that's a wonderful thing to know that Satan's powerless. Satan is powerless based on your revelation. Satan is rendered powerless based on your revelation. Is that what that says? Right? Because when the church really realizes who she is and that she stands for the truth and can do the greater works, hey, listen, if we have a revelation of that, Satan becomes powerless. In other words, you're capable of robbing Satan of his power by what God reveals to you. You should be asking God, Lord, give me that revelation. Give me that revelation right there on the board. Give me that one. And if you don't have that, if you believe the church is just a gathering of people that uh, come together in order to bring food for the potluck dinner, uh, we're, we're shortchanging ourselves. I believe when the church operates in unity and in spirit and in truth, I believe that church, when they bind their hearts together, they can overcome the enemy of that church and render him powerless. Do you believe that? I believe there's power in much prayer. I believe there's power within the ranks of the church. I believe that uh, we don't need to have Brother Branham here in order to see a deliverance take place. I don't believe that we need to have Brother Branham here in order to have a healing take place. 
I don't believe that we need to have Brother Branham here to have discerning go on. Because the same God that dealt with him is the same God who's here tonight. He's just using different vessels at all. Now, he had a gift. It was focused. It was concentrated in his ministry. And we understand that and appreciate that. And we wouldn't want that. But I will tell you this, that that same God still lives and he operates. And he should be able to operate in here. We discern Satan when we see that power not in operation in the church. All right, so let's look at this here. God's kingdom is not of this earth. God's kingdom is in our hearts. It's a spiritual kingdom and we're born into it. Jesus said, by new birth. Now, we're born into it by new birth. And it's the spiritual kingdom. Jesus said, the kingdom of God uh, cometh within you. He said, not without violence, the kingdom of God is within you. And the Holy Spirit, God's kingdom, moving in the man and governing and controlling him, that's the kingdom. I'm controlling things on the screen here with this device here. Uh, it responds to that because I put something in that computer that is connected to this. It's all wired to operate together in sync. And so I can make it go backwards. I can make it go forwards. I control the movement of what happens on the screen here. God placed something within us that is simply a responder to his control over us. Is that all right? So in other words, it's not your human nature that is in control. It is not even you with the controller. The Holy Spirit has that control in our lives. He should. And so if somebody says that the Holy Spirit led me to do this, the Holy Spirit led me not to go to church. Somebody recently said that, that the, they said the, the Lord spoke to them not to go to church. I thought, wow. You know, for someone following the message, that's kind of lame, really. I mean, that's just flat out lame. Because uh, how can God lead you contrary to his word? Uh, that, that, just doesn't, that just doesn't work. They might have a controller, but it isn't the same controller the Holy Spirit has. That's all. And I'm being mean. I'm just saying that, hey, common sense would tell you that, you know, you can't uh, open the door and let boys and girls be in the same dorm room. Common sense would tell you that the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you contrary to the Word. I mean, even common sense would tell you that, right? God gave us a brain. I'm thankful that He gave us a brain. Sorry for the small type. The book of Revelation now contains many of these great keys and mysteries and revelations that are important for us in the last day. They were not opened until the last day. They were written 2,000 years ago, but they were to be opened in the last day. And when that, uh, when that key of faith, as Brother Bram says, faith holds that key that unlocks Christ to the people. So when it comes to the book of Revelation, there had to be a key to unlock what was held back from the people. The people were blessed through the ages in what they knew. Hey, the people in Martin Luther's church were greatly blessed because they did not have to uh, go to confession twice a year. They didn't have to uh, do penance, you know, to so many times a year. They didn't have to uh, watch out about mortal sins and go into purgatory and all the rest of it, saying the rosary. Uh, all those Catholics did that for all those years. Martin Luther came along and said, hey, we are justified by faith. We're justified by faith. And we stand as though we never sinned in the first place, right? Because that's what justification means. Are we okay? I mean, they were blessed with that understanding. With that understanding alone, they were blessed uh, back in that day. And yet, they never had the full value of the open word because the word wasn't fully opened. Through the ages, they looked through a glass darkly, right? That's what the Bible says. 
Paul says, now we look through a glass darkly. But then, so there would come a time, Hebrews chapter 4, Paul says, you know, uh, milk belongs to babes. He says, I cannot feed you strong meat. And it was, it was not a problem of immaturity. It was a problem of seasons. Paul said, I can't bring you something that's out of season. Well, the revelation, uh, the revelation of the book of Revelation was reserved for the last day. And when that key gets put in the lock and, and released, it's going to release Christ to the people in a way that no other age ever knew. I mean, that's what it says. Now, notice the asterisk, but notice the double. Now we are approaching the seven seals. Brother Bram says we have just finished the church ages. And this is a message on teaching that ties the man in that's going to be in the church age. That eternal church age at the end of the seals. There's a people who are destined to go from Revelation 2 and 3 right into that eternal age without death. And he said, this is the message on teaching. Brother Bram is moving into this cycle now. He's in October of 1962, and he's moving into service. Is this the time? And then, of course, the opening of the seals in March of 63. So in six months or so, he's going to be into that place here. But he knows he's moving into that third pole, even though it's not fully identified to him at the moment. He says this, but he's moving in that direction here. There is coming an eternal. We're breaking out of the time-sequenced church ages. Time sequence church ages means that in Ephesus there was uh, from A.D. 70 until 153, I think it was, and then uh, all of those ages had a date stamp to it. But we're coming into, Brother Branham says, we're coming into an eternal church age. In other words, whenever this opens up, it'll never stop because it's an eternal one, right? All the church ages up to here had a date stamp to them, except for the, you know, Laodicea, of course, he... He puts a starting date on it, and of course, then it's, you know, he, he leaves it open ended. But he says, We're coming into, we're going to break into an eighth day. We're going to break into that eternal church age at the end of the seals. When this cycle is over for the Gentiles, you know what? This Gentile bride's going to be in an eternal spot. She's going to be in an, in an eternal condition. When this thing winds up at the end of the seals, when this is over, and he said, we've had seven trumpets, seven ply, uh, plagues, vials, and so forth. We get into as we go along. So the book of Revelation has lots of components to it. For all the way from the opening in, in Revelation 1, all the way down to new heavens and new earth. This is not anything advanced here, but uh, these are some components of the book of Revelation. They contain information related to these things. So there are things that are happening concurrently. And there are things that are happening exclusively, like in Revelation chapter 11. There are two prophets that go to Israel. God's just dealing with Israel. But go back one block. In the breach here, we are in a time between the, uh, we are in a time between the church ages, if you like, and eternity. Are we okay with that? I think I've explained that fairly good. Think about this now. Because the bride, to me, the bride is not in Laodicea. Are we okay? Spiritually speaking, folks. Hello. Spiritually speaking, we're not in Laodicea. We're in what's called, what Brother Random refers to as a bride age. A time specifically when God's dealing with the bride. I'll guarantee you, God's not dealing with the charismatic church today. 
God is not dealing with the Pentecostal assemblies. He's on the outside, can't get in. He has no access, right? So we're in the bride age, and eventually we're going to step into eternity in a new body in the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many believe that? At the same time, all these things are happening out in the world. And God's moving pieces around on the board to set everything up for Armageddon. All at the same time. God's, I mean, uh, there are things happening in the cosmos. There are things happening in Israel. There are things happening in the nations. All at the same time, God is wrapping things up with the Gentile bride, finding that last one, and getting all the people who are in, in one accord, one mind. So that we can, we can be fit to cross over into that land over there on the other side. Now, if you've still got your Bible open to Philippians chapter 3, look at the last verse of chapter 3, 21, 321. Paul says, we look for the Savior who shall change our vile body, that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he's able to subdue all things unto himself. What we're waiting for, listen, is whatever God needs to do in me to make me fit in the body he's already prepared for me. Do you believe that? God is at work in his bride. So it, it, it isn't, it's not a neutral time. I believe that God's at work in, in his people in the last days of time. And I believe that he's preparing me to suitably fit in that body that he's already prepared for me over there. I believe the body he's prepared for me over there is perfect. And I believe what he wants to do is take me in the right state and put me in that body. I don't believe that we're going to go through schools of discipline over there. I believe when we go over there, I I believe we'll enter into the rewards God has prepared for us. I believe we'll enter into the joys that await us. Right? Over here, we learn obedience by the things we suffer. All of that is meant to mold you and shape you so that when you get to step into that body, you'll fit in that body. You're conformed. You're you're transformed. You're made to fit in that perfect body, in that perfect place, in that perfect kingdom, with all the other perfect saints that have gone on before us. So let's go on and take a look at this now. John was on on the Isle of Patmos when he wrote the book of Revelation. It was not the story of his life, but the story of Christ in future ages. It was prophecy, prophesying of the age to come. It was not the revelation of St. John, but the revelation of Christ the Lord. In the breach, Brother Branham said, it's a book, a mysterious book, the book of redemption. And we know that this book of redemption will not be thoroughly understood. It's probed at through six church ages. But at the end, when, I think this is great, because he gives us the, the, the time frame, the time stamp here. When the seventh angel begins to sound his mystery, do you believe the seventh angel was William Branham? Okay, then he winds up all the loose ends that these fellows probed at and the mysteries come down from God as the word of God and reveals the entire revelation of God. 
You know what one of the great loose ends were? Was, as he mentions right here, he says, all the mysteries, serpent seed. Let me tell you, in 1957, when Brother Brandon brought the message on serpent seed, it blew most people clean out of the water. It sure did, because nobody had ever put that together so clearly in the Scripture and then stood back and watched how it made so many things make sense. In other words, he's taken the original sin, whatever that was, and all of this consequence up here and putting that two together because his ministry was tying loose ends together. I was, I don't know where, where, I was with uh, my grandson William today and we're in a restaurant and I have this thing on my phone, it's called Knots. And my boys love knots. And, and it demonstrates how to tie really cool knots. Because you need to know some knots in life, right? I mean, if you're a surgeon and you didn't know how to tie a knot, I mean, look what would happen. If you were a sailor and you didn't know how to tie knots, it would be a disaster, wouldn't it? If you were tying a load down in your vehicle... And you didn't know how to tie the proper knot? I mean, it'd be a disaster. So there's some knots that you need to know. And we were watching this illustration of tying these two, joining two ropes together. Because there are times when your rope is not just long enough, and so you need to tie two ropes together. And this this person, you know, all this shows is the hands and the ropes going together. And it just tied this loop, loop, through up the rabbit hole, down, around, boom, pull it. And it was just a beautiful knot. Now, I kind of like knots. I mean, you may not... Agree. But I, 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 I just, I get all tied up when I think about knots. I mean, it's just really great. And so I told William, I said that when you have a real good knot, it's easy to see it and it's easy to, uh, it's, it's easy to duplicate it. And it doesn't take two or three years to undo that knot. It, it's, it's, it comes apart cleanly because it's tight when you need it to be tight, but it can also be taken apart if you need to take it apart. And, uh, I, I mean, it was just a beautiful thing. And here's Brother Branham. Listen to me now. I said all of that to distract you to say this again. Brother Branham took these loose ends that were hanging here that nobody had definitively expressed, clearly expressed, or woven it through all of Scripture. Because Brother Branham was a master at doing that, at taking a principle over here in the Genesis uh, scene and winding that principle all the way through the Scripture and bringing it out here and making the right conclusion at the end. But nobody could do that like Brother Branham that I've ever seen. And here's Brother Branham taking serpent seed, what happened in the garden here, what really happened. And when he did that, he made sure we understood what didn't happen. It wasn't apples, right? It wasn't fruit. It wasn't the pear in the tree. It was the pear on the ground. And so he takes that loose end and takes this over here, this loose end, all the consequences of the things that are happening in the world, and ties them together and said, this is happening because of this. And if this happened, this is going to be the result of that. And stands back and looks at that, blows everyone away, like my mother-in-law, and she said, she said, it disagreed with everything I ever believed, but I believed it anyway. Because to the elect, truth is truth. And it just lit her fire. I mean, it just, it just made sense to her. And something on the inside, not on the outside, not on her conservative outside, 
But on the inside, something in there registered an amen to that. Even though she might not have fully understood it. Brother Branham said, that's the promise for the last day. That all of the mysteries are going to be revealed. The entire revelation of God. The entire revelation of God means that everything is talked about in the last day. Everything is dealt with in the last day. And the Godhead, everything else is settled. And we're not oneness. And we're not Trinitarians. And we're not Jehovah Witness. We're believers in God. God above us, God with us, God in us, right? And all of those things now become kind of second nature. Hey, we're good with all of that. Now, Brother Branham says, I'm sorry, in the, in the book of Exodus, this angel who comes in the last day, this angel of God, Brother Branham said he's seen many times in the services. He's been seen many times in the services. A brother told me that Brother Branham told him, it's not on tape, but he said the angel sometimes would dress in a suit and sit in the congregation. And he said he would direct things from there. Kind of makes you think about your neighbor, doesn't it? But he, that's what, he, that's what brother, he said Brother Branham told him. And he said he's seen many times in the services, and I, I know that he's here. Now, Brother Branham has special sensitivity to that because of the gift that was given to him. And he said, I've felt him three or four times since I've been here. Now, many people misunderstand that. He said, this is in no means an angel worship. It is, it is not. I do not pray in the name of the angel or even know his name. But if you'll check the scripture, when God sends his people, it's an angel that directs him. Pause. Here's an example. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 23, Moses said this to the people. He said, Behold, I send an angel before thee. He's speaking now for God here. He says, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place that I have prepared. Who's going to be doing this? It's not Moses who's, who's leading. There's an angel watching over this whole thing. He's a, in a sense, he's, he's a controller or a director of things that are happening here. He has his agents on earth. He has his people on earth. But this is what happened in the first exodus here. Then the Bible says, beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed his voice and do all, indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. In other words, you're never really alone. So if you're in a camp that's planning uh, a departure like Dathan and Korah, we're going to elect a captain and go back, like I said on Sunday. It, let me tell you, there's somebody listening to that, even if you think it's just us. Us four, no more. There's somebody. You always got to anticipate the person from overhead. And this angel is right there. And this is what Moses is cautioning the people. He says, if you follow this angel, he'll be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. For my angel shall go before thee. And bring thee unto the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. This angel knows where he's going. This angel is unafraid of any obstacle. This, uh, uh, this angel is un- unafraid of any enemy that you might encounter. So you follow him because he knows where he's going. And listen, behind that angel, there's another power behind that angel. You believe that? 
So there's a realm we can see and a realm we can't see. And in this realm we can't see, there are powers that are stacked up that actually direct the people of God. Now, over here, uh, sorry, going back to this quote here, he says, now you say, well, how about in the New Testament? Certainly it was always the angel of the Lord. Peter, when he was in prison, the angel of the Lord came down and delivered him. And angels, you know, had a direct involvement in the movement of God's people, uh, uh, directing John the Revelator, directing Paul in Macedonia, all the other places in Scripture that we could find that. So if that's true, that every time God's people are on the move, then it's also true that there's an angel around somewhere that's helping direct that move. And even though Brother Bram's not with us, I believe that that angel is still around. There's one who's watching over us who knows exactly where we're going and is not afraid of any enemy that will stand in our way. And I'm looking forward, Brother Branham says, to a breaking forth of the Spirit of God in the last day that we're living in for another surge of the Holy Spirit into the church for rapturing faith just before it comes. I, and I will, t- I will say this like I've been saying on Sundays, that I, I'm looking, for what, looking forward to what God will do. I'm looking forward to what God will do. Because when God gives a surge into the church, hey, uh, you won't be able to contain yourself. I believe it will energize the people so their bodies can be changed. I believe that. Because every time he says a statement like that, uh, when you study it, let me tell you, there's a connection between the resurrection and the crossing over and going over to the other side. So we've come to the end of this journey here where uh, we're at the capstone of this whole thing. And this, is, this involves Christ himself. This involves Christ himself at the very end of it. Now, stay with me just for another few minutes here. Brother Branham said, And the Holy Ghost is the token that the blood has been applied because it follows the blood all the way from the book of redemption. So not only do we have an angel that watches over the movement to the church, but we also have the Holy Spirit who's watching that list of names on the book of redemption all the way down through the ages and making sure that when they come forth into the light, They are fully redeemed by the blood of Christ. Let me say that again. The Holy Ghost is a token that the blood has been applied because it follows the blood all the way from the book of redemption. It, it being the Holy Spirit, follows that blood all the way from the book of redemption. That was the purpose of him coming. That's what he followed in every age. Every age he's followed that to see that it's brought forth, that they could not be made perfect without us. Every age, every age, the Holy Spirit's watching down in Martin Luther's age to make sure everybody whose name is on the book is redeemed during that time. In other words, in this last day, God's actually been looking out for you and waiting for you to come on the scene. And when you come, when you come on the scene, there's been a day appointed where you would realize I'm more than just a son of Frank and Betty Coffee, but I'm a son of God. And it's not just you happen to go, walk into the right church. It's the Holy Spirit, or if you like, that higher power guiding the people of God to the tree of life so that we can experience redemption and the freedom that comes with it. And the joy that comes with knowing that we are forgiven and we stand in the sight of God as though we never sinned in the first place. That was not a fluke, saints of God. That was the leading of the Holy Spirit That because He's been following you in every age. He's been following the bride of Christ in every age. He's actually been looking out for you so that you'd come to the right place. You didn't come to the right place because you were smarter than other people. 
You came to the right place because he led you. And now the entire Holy Spirit visits the church, making God in human flesh, he said, as he did before Sodom and so forth. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. Now, don't read that. Take your sheet for a moment. Let's take a look at it. We're not going to read it all. I took a section. I was reading through this, my seals book, and I, I found this little section here, and I thought, wow, this is worth, this is worth sharing. And if I put it on the screen, it would be 15 screens. So let's take a quick look at it. Brother Branham does this summary, if you like, a summary of what is actually going on in this opening of the seal book. And he said the forfeited title deed is now in the hands of the original owner, Almighty God. The title deed to earth and eternal life when Adam forfeited it and Satan's dirty hands could not take it, so it went back to its original owner, God himself. We're going to find it in just a minute, and there he sits on the throne with it in his hand, the title deed. That's what Revelation 4 and 5 describe. I saw him sitting on the throne. A book was in his hand. Remember that? Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5. And he said, oh, that makes me feel religious, friends. In other words, he, the lamb, has got the book with your name in it sitting on the throne. He's sitting there. The title deed to eternal life, abstract title deed to eternal life, when Adam forfeited it by sin in the Garden of Eden for wisdom instead of faith and went back to the hands of the owner, Almighty God. What a great thing. And he said, what's it doing? In the hands of God waiting for redemption claims. He made a way of redemption. He made a way back. And someday the Redeemer is to take it back. You see where we're going to now, we're getting to now. We'll watch this fellow sitting upon the throne. Now that's what the seals do. They open up this view of Christ. Okay? Because the seals loose this revelation. And we're looking at him that's sitting on the throne. Another few lines here. He says now, he's waiting for redemption claims. It's redemption. And what is this book of redemption, this title deed, abstract title deed? You say abstract. What does an abstract mean? It means it's searched all the way back to its beginning. Like that little drop of ink this morning when I struck, when I struck the bleach, went all the way back into the elements. And when sin has been confessed and fallen into the blood of Christ, my, it gives an abstract right straight back to the... Listen now. When sin has been confessed and fallen into the blood of Christ... It gives an abstract right straight back to the Creator again, and you become a son of God. Abstract title deed is held in the hand of Almighty God. What does that mean? All right, watch here on the board. So I was looking up this, this uh, title here of abstract title deed, the way Brother Bram refers to it here. And the abstract of title is a document. The physical item denoting a change of title is the deed. Stop. So if I, uh, if I went over to Micah here, and Micah says, I've always wanted to live in a commonwealth, so I want to live in Virginia. And so he uh, comes up with the cash to buy my house. Okay? And I know he's independently wealthy and charismatic and handsome and all, got all, everything all together in life, and I know that. 
So he whips out his checkbook and he writes a check for my house. The thing he'd walk away with is a deed. A deed is the evidence of the transaction. Okay? He paid for the right to own that property, so he has a deed to that property. That's what he would get. He, he would get this piece of paper, this document that is a deed that says this transaction has been made for this amount of money, and he's the rightful owner. That's the deed. The abstract, though, is a different thing. Because whenever you bought, purchase a house, uh, if, <clears throat> if uh, Micah wanted to purchase my house, uh, he would have, uh, as part of that transaction, the bank would make him search the title. Okay? And most of you people who bought a house, you know what that is. You're going to pay some invisible lawyer, visible dollars, to search the title. And what he does is that he looks at the abstract and comes back with a report and says, there's no hindrances, there's no encumbrances, there's no lawsuits, there's no, bound, no restrictions at all. It's not uh, held by oil and gas restraints or anything else. It's, it's free and clear. So he can purchase that uh, property and then he gets a deed. The abstract is the history. The deed is the document that says the price has been paid. Are we all right? All right look, at the, look at the legal definition. The physical item denoting a change of title is the deed. So it goes from Barry Coffee to Micah. The abstract of title is a document that summarizes the history of that property from the transactions of title to legal activity. So in other words, it, the abstract is the history. And if there's... Uh, the abstract of title is the historical overview of the historical document associated with the property and so forth. And it's looking for things such as easements, encroachments, litigations, liens, tax sales, or restrictions. So if I was a former owner didn't pay the taxes on that property, then he would be liable. If he assumed the deed, he would be liable for that debt. He would have to pay it. If there was uh, problems with uh, maybe... A, um, an encroachment, or if his property was over the line onto somebody else's line, the abstract's going to show that. The history's going to show that. Okay? Everybody with me? So the abstract is the history. The deed is the document that shows that the price has been paid. Okay? So when Brother Bannon refers to the title, the abstract title deed here, he's actually saying, he's actually saying that you and I had a history. We had a history. And you know what? I remember my history, and my history ain't so good. My history in life ain't so pure because it's got a bunch of uh, road bumps. It's got a bunch of scandals. It's got a bunch of things, you know, in my past. Come on, don't sit there like an angel and polish your halo. We all have a history. We all have a... And you know what? Every one of you started wrong in the first place because we're all born in sin, come to the world speaking lies, right? shaping in iniquity, every one of us. So if, if somebody wanted to search your history, they go back to your, for your first natural birth and say, that eliminates him. My goodness, how could he qualify as the son of God? But what Brother Branham is telling us here is that God knew, God knew that you couldn't redeem yourself. So therefore, he stepped on the scene as a kinsman redeemer and paid the price. So when he shed his blood, listen, when he shed his blood and God looks at you, what does he see? Does he see your past? 
No, your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. And when he looks at you, what does he see? Your words? No. I mean, anybody can sound nice, right? Anybody can make a podcast. Anybody can uh, say, you know, or sing like a, a, a dove, right? That doesn't impress God. But when God looks at a believer, what does he look, what does he look at? He sees the blood. And that blood, when he sees, you know, red through red, what does he see in your past, in your history? What does he see? Sinlessness. He sees white all the way back through. And he looks and he says, as a righteous judge, I see no encumbrance in that person from ever inheriting the inheritance and having eternal life and having the possession of the kingdom. I see no encumbrances. I see nothing against him. I see nothing being held there. There's no taxes. There's no liens. There's no lawsuits. There's no accusation. There is nothing that disqualifies him from actually possessing what is rightfully his. And you're standing there and saying, there isn't? No, there isn't, because it's under the blood of Christ. And when it's under the blood of Christ, God's removed your sins far from you, and you are free as though you never sinned in the first place. And so there was a requirement, and the requirement was a righteous requirement, that it it required a sinful, uh, sorry, a a sinless person who uh, had no no sin of Adam uh, in order to, get back into the Garden of Eden. If Adam could find a way to get rid of his sin, he could get back in the Garden of Eden, right? Because he sinned, he came out of the Garden of Eden, and if he could find a way to get rid of that sin, he could go back into the Garden. He could go back to the Tree of Life. But he had no way. The blood of a lamb, a natural lamb, did not do away with Adam's sin. It only covered it for a season. But when Jesus came on the scene, and he bled and died for you, your sins were removed. They were done away. They were dropped in the bleach of his own blood. And they were gone. So when God looks at your abstract, there's nothing there that would hold you back. Are you afraid? There's nothing there that would hold, hold you back. There's nothing that disqualifies you. There's nothing that uh, would eliminate you from possessing whatever it is that God has determined to give you in His will. Look at it again. Verse, uh, paragraph 119. <clears throat> now go back one sentence. Abstract title deed is held in the hand of Almighty God. The abstract title deed, I said, is is held in the hand of God. It doesn't really matter what Satan says because he doesn't hold a deed, right? He doesn't hold a paper. He, all he's got, he's got, he's only good at, at mouthing lies. He's only good at bringing accusations against you. But hey, the blood of Jesus Christ has cleared away all liens, uh, you know, uh, any litigation, any taxes, any, uh, any scandal, anything else. The blood of Jesus Christ is taking care of that. And God's looking at that. And he holds a title deed. And guess what? My name is on that title deed. My name is on that book. And it's redemption. And means all legal possessions to all that was lost by Adam and Eve. Oh my. He says, what ought that to do to a born again Christian? That'll even make you say amen on a Wednesday night. It's legal possession to the abstract title deed of eternal life means that you possess how much? Everything that Adam and Eve lost. What of it, brethren? What about it? If this is true, it's either true or it's not true, right? Adam could not meet the requirements of redemption after he found he lost it. He had sinned and separated himself from God and was on that side of the chasm. So he could not redeem it. He just couldn't do it because he needed redemption himself. So he couldn't do it. But the law required a kinsman redeemer. And Jesus was that kinsman redeemer. And Boaz was the type. 
back in the Old Testament there. And redeemed Naomi and got Ruth in the process. And all they were both completely free of any indebtedness whatsoever. And here's Jesus coming and stepping into that place. If you read down through the piece of paper here in Leviticus 25, it explains it all here. Last, par- last sentence of paragraph 121. He says, but the grace of God met the requirements, uh, this kinsman redeemer in the person of Christ. Law required it. Grace met its requirements. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet to sound. Grace met that requirement. God says, I look at Alan Gunter here. My goodness, what a cloudy, murky, rough, bumpy, questionable past. You ain't going to cut it. Your best efforts are not going to cut it. I look at John Harwell back here. Oh, we better move on. I look at... uh, 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 Even you young guys that are here and God looks back and sees your history, it ain't no good. I mean, it just ain't no good. It ain't no good for you guys to say, well, you know what? I never smoked a cigarette. never hit my sister with a closed fist and I never smoked a cigarette. So I must be all right. No. Hey, listen. Despite the fact you might not have done any of those things, you were still born in sin, shaped in iniquity, come to the world speaking lies. So God could not get even past your natural birth before the thing was over. The court was, all right, the court adjourned. Everybody, everybody can go home. Folks, the blood of Jesus Christ opened up a clear path. So when I look now at a believer, I see nothing but the purity and the, the, the justification, the sanctification, the whole process here, and brings you right back to the throne with him sitting on the throne with the title deed in his hand. You go back and you stand in front of that throne and you look at my name's on that book. No wonder John wept when he saw that, when he saw that book and he could do nothing about it. Adam wept when he got outside the Garden of Eden and couldn't get back in. Right? And here's, 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 uh, here's us now. We're looking at, that, looking at that title deed. My name's on there. Glory to God. My name's on there. And there's nothing, nothing that hinders me from, I got, I got representation here, and I've got a clean path. The abstract is completely clean all the way uh, to the throne. There's nothing that hinders me from walking into heaven when time comes. And I say, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Heaven's now laid up, right? Somewhere beyond the blue. I, I mean, it doesn't really get any better. It, it really doesn't get any better. Because God made a way for you to be absolutely exonerated from any sin or any kind of disqualification through the blood of Christ so that you could go all the way and possess your possession. The seals is all about revealing that out to the people because you're the ones who are going to walk across the barrier and take the kingdom by life, not death. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have our musicians come. Did you hear what I just said? One day, one day, when this is completely, I believe, understood and grasped by the people, we're going to move out. We're going to move out from this life and take the kingdom by life, not death. We're going to walk across the divine by life and not death. And we shall possess the kingdom. And we shall possess the kingdom. And here's what Brother Bram said. Now, God's loosening up the church now everywhere, getting in order so he can get, in, uh, get into the rapture and got to give it rapturing faith before it can go in the rapture. He said the people are in the spirit of the last days like they was in the day of Noah, but the bride is being moved into another channel altogether, loosening up the church. We're not bound by this, not bound by that, but loosen up so that we can appropriate rapturing faith out of the message of the hour. And we can be happy. We can be joyful. We can realize 
God is good. We can realize that God has got, uh, God's got this all under control. And he made a way. And he made a way. And he didn't ask you to make the way. He made the way and said, here it is wrapped up in these seals right here. But I'm going to tear the seals off and let you read it yourself. So you can have the book and you can read it. That's only one page out of the breach. That's just one page. But he summarizes the beauty and the purpose of the opening of these seven seals right there. And when that revelation comes, it releases Christ to the people. You realize, wow, that's what he did for me. Oh, my goodness. God is good, isn't he? Can't you see why I'm so happy? I've accepted the Drinking at the springs of living water. Oh, 
bountiful supply. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. It's written divine. Every promise in the book is mine. Sing it again then. Oh, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. I am trusting in His love divine. Every promise in the book is mine, mine, mine. Jesus is mine. Mine when I'm weary. Mine when I'm cheery. He's mine, mine, mine. Jesus is mine. Jesus is mine all the time. Oh, yes, He's mine, mine, mine. Jesus is mine when I'm weary and mine when I'm weary. He's mine, mine, mine. Jesus is mine. Yes, Jesus is mine all the time. One more time. Oh, yes, He's mine, mine, mine. Jesus is mine. He's mine when I'm here. Mine when I'm here. He's mine. Mine. Jesus is mine. He's Jesus is mine all the time. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. My Jesus, Jesus saves and keeps me, and He's the one I'm waiting for. So every day with Jesus, sweeter than the day before. Again now. My Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love Him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me. He's the one I'm waiting for. Every day with my Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's give him an offering of praise here. He has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. And I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Sing that again. Oh, he has made me glad. Yes, he has made me glad. Rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. And I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. 
for he has made me glad. Hallelujah. He's got it all in control. He's got it all in control. Put that reassurance deep down in my soul. got it all in control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have it all under control. The world is spinning, spinning without restraint to fulfill the prophecies that are spoken about it. But Lord, you have a people who are growing in grace and knowledge. And they are fulfilling. They are realizing who they are. They are realizing they are a part of an invincible army. They are realizing, Lord, their true heritage and their true genealogy. They're realizing, Lord, that the abstract title deed shows nothing against them. And they are free and clear to enter into the kingdom. Naturally, Satan would fight that people. Naturally, Satan would come against her. But we are an invincible army. And so, Lord, we are thankful for that strength and that power that you give. And now, Lord, I pray that you would take a little of this atmosphere. May you deposit it in the hearts of those people that are listening tonight, those who are not well, those who are hurting, Lord, the little children. Father, we commit them to you now and ask and pray in Jesus' name that you would just minister mightily to them. And, Lord, we especially remember the Jackson family tonight. And we hold them up in prayer, believing, Lord, that there is a solution to every problem. Problems we never knew were coming. Problems we didn't anticipate. But, Lord, there's nothing hidden with you. And so I pray you'd reveal your wisdom to them. And, Lord, you would give it to them. And, Lord, may it, may it just be a real testimony of the grace of God. Father, I just ask that you would be in, attend- in, in attendance, Lord, in that need in that household. And Father, you would just give the Jackson family the mind of Christ. We love you, Lord, with all of our heart. Bless our assembly, O oh God. And I pray that you would watch over your people, Lord, until we meet again. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen. And amen. Sing it as you go tonight. He's got it all in control. He's got it all. Put that reassurance deep down in my soul. He got it all. Yes, he's got it all in control. 